Okay, well, I have two kids. My son's Noah, he's 11. My daughter, Mackenzie, she's eight. And I, a few years ago, have done what most parents try to do. There's this parenting uh, pilgrimage that I never really thought much about until I started having kids. And there was all of a sudden, everyone on the playground started talking about these things. And I realized I was a deficient parent because a good parent, I thought, is a parent who takes her kids to Disneyland. I don't know if you've been a parent, you've ever taken your kid to Disneyland, but I felt like I wanted to be a good parent. So I did the parenting pilgrimage. I saved up all of our cash. We drove down to Disneyland and we had an incredible time. Disneyland is incredible for like an hour, apparently, right? So we go and uh, of course my kids are just the right height where they don't get to go on any of the cool rides. And so we're stuck in like Dumbo land, which is cool and all, but like it's different because the last time I was in Disneyland, I was in college with like, you know, a cute girl trying to be like, hey, let's go to Dumbo land, you know? But this was like my kids who are screaming and like, I can't go on the cool rides. And except of course, there's no height requirement for Space Mountain. Did you know that? So I took my kids on it. That was a big mistake. So... (laughs) But we do, we spend the whole day in Disneyland. And what's interesting is when you're taking kids to Disneyland, there's this weird transformation that happens. It begins with, we're going to Disneyland. This is so great. We're having so much fun. And as a dad, you're like, I don't care that breakfast is going to cost me a hundred bucks. We're going to Disneyland. And now you have breakfast and then you're like, I want one of those weird Mickey Mouse hats. Oh, those are so dumb. But we're at Disneyland. I'll buy you a Disneyland hat. And they wear the hat. And you know, you're having this time. And as a dad, you're like, this is so great. I'm doing what all parents should do. You're going to Disneyland with your kids. You're taking pictures like this. They're going to have in their hearts forever and ever and ever. And then like by one o'clock, something awful happens. Your kids go from, I can't believe we're going to Disneyland. And you're going, I can't believe we're Disneyland to, can I have another funnel cake? And you're like, no, you can't have more funnel cake. Can I buy a Buzz Lightyear shirt? No, you can't buy a Buzz Lightyear shirt. And you're going, all of a sudden, from one o'clock for the rest of the day, you're having these fights with your kids. You're like, I'm spending thousands of dollars. We're supposed to have this incredible time with the family. And instead, I have these selfish, bratty kids who want more funnel cake. No more funnel cake. And then you start getting in a fight. And you're like, you dang kids. You're like, we're going home. I'll leave. You know? And it ends the day with like tears and people crying. And it's awful. And uh, here's a picture of my daughter at the end of the day. At the end of our day, she was all done. She's like, I'm spent. And you can see, this is like angry dad. Like, I, like my eyes, my beady eyes are like, get me home because this was the worst thing ever. And what's interesting, I, I think of this when I think of uh, this idea that as a parent, I so desperately want to love my kids. I so desperately want to bless my kids. I even want to spoil my kids. I want to give them good gifts. And there's this weird thing that happens when my kids, they go, yes, I love getting good gifts. I love it. I love it. I love it. And all of a sudden they kind of transition into being spoiled brat kids. And my dad rage goes, no, I don't want to raise kids who are spoiled brats. I want to raise kids who are noble and have strong character and care about the world and love God and have all these big things. And what's weird is for some reason, funnel cake becomes the line in the sand. <laughs> what's going to make my kid an entitled jerk for the rest of their life or the one who's going to love Jesus? Whether or not I give in and buy them funnel cake. That is the line in the sand. And I drew it and it was awful. But I drew it because I'm their dad. I know that they don't need that funnel cake. I don't need to, no, they don't need the Buzz Lightyear backpack. They don't need those things because... They don't know what I know. They don't know that a funnel cake's bad for you. They don't know that this trip costs thousands and thousands of dollars. They don't know that I have way bigger things for our kids than having more junk from Disneyland to have in their room. Right? I have big, noble things for them. I have school I need to pay for. I have college that I got to pay for. There's other places in the world that I want to take my kids and show them besides Disneyland. And if I just give them everything they wanted whenever they wanted, I would run out of money and patience and time and not going to do anything with them. Right? Because I'm a dad who loves my kids, and I desperately want this thing for them. 
And the brutal thing is when we were taking a look at this passage of Scripture, when I was reading this passage of Scripture this week, I realized I'm the punk kid at Disneyland. When I think of the ways that I interact with God, I'm the spoiled brat kid who I say, Dad, I want this, I want this, I want this. And then he doesn't give me the funnel cake and I get ticked. And I throw a temper tantrum and I could just see God going, what are you doing to me? Well, the deal is that God is inviting us into a much larger story. He's in, he has something so much bigger than a one-day thing at Disneyland. God longs for us to be his noble children who have a such bigger view of the world and ourselves, and he wants us to get there. And him, as our Heavenly Father, has a way in which he wants, in which he wants us to do that. And so the deal is, we're looking at this idea of the kingdom of God is. And this morning, we're looking at this idea that the kingdom of God is what we long for. Now, if you're honest, or at least I'm just going to be honest, the kingdom of God is not really what I long for. The kingdom of Ben is what I long for. My kingdom be done, my will, I want more funnel cake. That is my world. But what we're going to see in the scriptures is that God wants for his children to be about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God not just be this, this weird concept or something that we pray here and there, but it becomes this thing that we long for that tunes our heart, that shapes our heart. My kids all leading up to Disneyland, I want this, I want this, I can't wait for this, I can't wait for this, right? They were all leading up to this moment. Then I, as a dad, I go, yes, for this, or, or no, for this. But the kingdom of God isn't just this weird religious thing, but it's this thing that God wants to tune our hearts to and wants us to long for. And so the way that we tune our hearts, the way that we long for things, and especially the way that we long for the kingdom of God begins with prayer. If we want to long for the kingdom of God, that we have to change the way in which we pray. I'm going to show you a little video of a great way to pray, and then, I'll, and then we'll talk about where we're going to go from there. So here we go. Enjoy this little video. With it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Now, hopefully your prayer life is a little more developed than that. But I think if we're honest, I don't know if it necessarily is, right? I mean, praying is a really weird discipline. God's invisible, which means that we can make God into whatever we want in our head. And, um, and so we can you know, watch this video and go, oh, how this is so silly. But when we think about what we pray for, how we pray for, how we interact, how we talk with God, it's actually pretty shaping and telling who God is, the kind of God that we imagine in our head. And a lot of times, like here, we might think God is like a trinket or like a good luck charm. It's something that we do so that we can get what we want. Or God's like a genie. We have like these, like we have, we're in big trouble and we think if we rub the genie just right, God's going to come through in a certain sort of way. 
Or maybe God is just a, an angry dad and we like, don't want to tick him off. And so the way that we come to God, we're like really scared that he's just going to be angry and upset. Or he's like kind of like a senile old grandpa or he's this ancient, distant deity. Right? We all have these different ways in which we imagine God. And the way that we imagine God matters because that means how we're going to interact with him. And so the deal is um, what we want to realize is how we pray matters. How we understand God matters. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew um, chapter 6, and we're going to see that if we want the kingdom of God to be what we long for, then it's going to begin uh, with who we pray to and what we pray for. So Jesus, knowing that the people he was listening to were praying to the little golden baby Jesus with the special diapers or whatever weird ways that they were praying, Jesus said, no, no, no. Let me tell you how to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first way that we're going to figure out if we want to be people whose hearts move towards God, that the kingdom of God is what we long for, then it begins with recognizing that it totally matters who we pray to. Who we pray to. Who we pray to? We pray to our Father who art in heaven. We pray to a God who's revealed himself in Scripture. And I'm going to actually, this is a little dangerous for me, but I'm, you can't leave me hanging here. So instead of me just giving you all these things, I want you to tell me, based on all of your vast Bible knowledge, even if you only know one passage of Scripture, I'm sure you can think of one thing about God. But let's see together, if we come up, what are some things that you know about the God that we pray for who's revealed himself in Scripture? What do we know about this God? This is for you. Awesome. Love. Faithful. Holy. Patient, merciful, just, mighty, sovereign, omnipotent. That's a big fancy word. I like that. Jealous, provider. Yeah, whenever. What? Wrathful. Yeah, thank you. It's true. My favorite is this passage in Romans that it's God's kindness and severity, right? There's like, there's these both ends. And you can't get away. If you read scripture, God reveals himself and he's a very complex God. Holy and mighty, loving and patient and angry and wrathful and jealous. He's this complex deity and invites us to not just be this deity, but to be our father, so when we approach God, we can approach God as our Father. We get this relational intimacy. But he's not just a, a cool dad who wants to just like play video games with his son. He's a dad with a purpose and a mission and power and authority. And he is the dad that we get to come to. Our Father who art in heaven. Honored be your name. And what's interesting is in our culture, we live in this really weird culture where we don't care what our parents think. As, I mean, if you're a parent of a little kid, you're like, I want my kids to think about what I think. But it's really this tiny moment. None of our kids care what we think as parents. Teenagers for sure don't care what, they th what their parents think. And if you are an adult, you don't care what your parents think. Our whole culture says our parents are dumb. All right, I'm an old person, older, not as old as some of you, but I'm older. I have old, old parents, and I don't care what they think, right? It's in me to go, oh, God bless my parents, right? But that's not the picture we have in Scripture. The picture we have in Scripture is, I mean, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother. And if we don't know how to honor, if we don't know how to re respect other people, then it's so hard to learn how to respect God. And God says, I'm your heavenly father in honor. My name deserves to be honored. And what's interesting is the way that we treat someone, the way that we imagine someone 
totally matters how we interact with them. Um, a, a couple years ago, um, Adrian Gretschman said, hey, Ben, I want you to meet this, this woman. Um, she's a friend of mine from San Selmo, and I, I was really busy, and so it kind of trailed off. I didn't catch the rest of the story she was telling me about this woman. But I'm like, yeah, give her my email, and I'll, I'll get a hold of her. Well, sure enough, this woman emails me and says, hi, hi Ben, I'm a friend of Adrian Gretschman, and I would love to meet you. Can we meet? I'm like, sure. And uh, because I was busy and not paying attention and just, you know, my own jerky self, I kind of said, yeah, let's meet here at this time or whatever. Well, of course, my classic Ben Kearns uh, way, I double booked. I couldn't make it to that meeting, so I blow her off again. I say, hey, listen, I, I, well, I didn't say double book because that's kind of rude, but I said, hey, something came up, and, I, and I'll get back to you. Can we do it again? So, she, so we set up another round of, 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 of conversations, and sure enough, she comes uh, to my office on a, on a Wednesday morning. Now, Wednesday mornings for me, are, are, I mean, I'm in shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops. Like, that's it. Like, that's my work attire for Wednesdays. I'm going to be in the office for a little bit. I'm going to go goof off with kids. I get, got to get ready for youth group. Shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops. You know, usually I won't even do my hair. I'll be like, oh, I'm ready. Well, my appointment with her is for Wednesday morning. And sure enough, Wednesday morning, this woman comes, knocks on my door. And I'm like, oh, hey, Marianne. Hi, I'm Ben. Nice to meet you, blah, blah. And here's this woman who is dressed in this nice uh, pantsuit, nice scarf, who is done up to the nines, who is like ready to do business. And I'm like, hey, what's up? And because I'm a jerk, because I didn't pay attention, because I didn't know who she was, why she was there, I just was like, hey, yeah, that's great. She comes down to sit down to realize this woman who was the mayor of Fairfax, who started this entire nonprofit, who coaches parents, who's like this great resource in our whole county, wanted to partner with our church to help our parents do this thing, that I missed the whole thing. And I'm in shirts, t-shirt and shorts going, oh my gosh, I missed it. This was the day I should have worn cords to work, you know? This was the day I should have showed up on time and driven wherever it mattered because who she is matters. And she is someone who is smart and brilliant and deserves honor and is gracious to me and to our church. And I was just like, hey! And only because she's gracious, she was like, you're an idiot, but let's still work together. And we become friends and she's worked with our parents and she is incredible. But I think about that story because how often do we just think of God that we just show up in our t-shirt and shorts like, God, what's up? God, I need this from you. God, I'm so mad at you. And we throw a little temper tantrums because we imagine God, we don't even know how we imagine God. We're just, we just want to be comfortable. We just want to wear our shorts and t-shirts and just be comfortable all the time. But God's like, no, no. You are my kid. I'm your father. And that's great. But my name deserves to be honored. When you come to me, there should be some reverence. There should be some dignity. Because it's only going to be if there's reverence and dignity, then we're actually going to be like, oh yeah, you're in charge. And when you're in charge, maybe it might matter what I pray for. Right? Who we pray to matters because who we pray to is going to matter what we pray for. If we pray to the punk dad who's like, just wants to play video games, we're going to be spoiled brat kids. I want this, I want this, I want this. If we pray to the holy righteous, loving, patient, jealous, angry Father. That's going to change how we pray. Honored is your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So when we come to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it matters who we pray to. But it also matters what we pray for. So if we come to God, God, what are the things that we want to pray for? And what's interesting is you think of all the things that you pray for, and I won't blame you. I'll just look at me. I just looked at my journal over the last couple years, and all the things that I pray for are very small. 
I try to spiritualize them so God will like hear me, you know? It's like when your kids go, I really want to stay out past curfew because here's all the noble reasons I want to care for my friends. No, you're like, you're just being a punk kid, right? We do the exact same thing. We have like the, our prayers and we kind of cloak them in some nice spiritual stuff and we go, no, God, I need this and this because think of how much respect I'll get from people and they'll love and they'll realize how good you are, right? Or whatever the thing is. That's how I do it. I don't know how you do it. But in my journal, I go, I just look page after page and probably three quarters, if not more, are these selfish prayers of what I want, of the kingdoms and things that I need, that I want, that are going to make me feel better, make me feel loved, so then I can love God better. And then when God doesn't come through that way, I throw a temper tantrum. And we all do that. We all want something from God. God doesn't come through that way, and we throw temper tantrums. But if we realize God is this holy God who has a kingdom, and he wants to get after some stuff, then it matters what we pray for. And so what do we pray for? We pray for the kingdom of God to come. And what in the world does that mean? It's this totally vague deal, but as you read Scripture, you get to more and more pictures of what does it mean for the kingdom of God. And we're going to spend the next six weeks unpacking what does it mean for the kingdom of God to come. And there's tons of places you can look. I just happened to pick this passage in Ephesians. So in Ephesians chapter 8, uh, verses 8, 9, and 10, it says this, that you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So living as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, all righteousness, and truth. So find out what pleases the Lord. You were once children of darkness. If we're, as Christians, as, as, as people who know and love Jesus, we realize that the world we live in is, in a, is a dark world. That's the word that it, it uses. But the truth is the opposite of these things, of goodness, of righteousness, of truth, right? What are the opposite of those things? It's evil, pride, deception, right? We live in a world where people take advantage of other people. It happens just at, at a high school campus, the way people bully each other. It happens at our work, the way people bully other companies and crush other companies. It happens throughout the whole world. All you have to do is watch the news, and you see that evil is alive and well. Strong people are not benevolent in our world. Strong people crush weaker people and only gain more strength. We sit in a world that is defined by evil. Every night on the news is evil. The worst part is we're nice, good, you know, we're in covenant people, but I think we might contribute to that. There are things that we do, either actually doing, or we just turn a blind eye to doing, where we participate in that evil. So if we pray for the kingdom of God, we have to recognize what is that evil? What are those things? Repent from that. Turn away from that. Right? God longs for goodness, all goodness, good actions. What does the kingdom of God consist of? It consists of the people of God doing good works. We don't do good works because it earns God's favor. We do good works because we want the kingdom of God to show up on earth. The way it happens is by us actually doing things. We all have things to do, and we're supposed to get after them. The opposite of righteousness, um, right works and right actions, I think is pride. Righteousness says, what are the right things to do? What does somebody else have? And usually what we do is we think, what is best for me? We all pick the things that are best for me, and we unintentionally just steamroll other people. We satisfy our own flesh, we satisfy our own feelings, we satisfy our own hungers, and if other people get hurt, it's not their problem, I just got to take care of me. And we unintentionally crush people. But the kingdom of God comes about when the people of God do good works and they do right living. We live in a culture where we think it doesn't matter how I live. My own personal life and righteousness and holiness, that's all old person stuff, that doesn't matter. But the truth is the kingdom of God happens when we pursue holiness, when we pursue right living, when we say no to being a part of certain sins and habitual sins, and we say no to pride and our ego, and we take on the spiritual gifts and, and fruits and disciplines, 
when we serve one another, when we love one another, when we do those things, the kingdom of God comes. And the opposite of truth, I just think, is deception. And truthfully, think about this. When's the last time you had a conversation with someone, you said, hey, how am I really doing in whatever that thing is? How am I doing in my marriage? How am I doing in my friendship? How am I doing at work? Like, no, how am I really doing? Don't give me the BS answer. Don't give me the, you're doing all right. But like, no, I really want to know. And everyone says, oh, no, I do that all the time. I'm telling you, no one ever wants to know. I don't even want to know. I've been doing youth ministry for 20 years, hundreds and hundreds of parents I've hung out with. And I think I can probably count on one hand the number of parents that said, hey, Ben, how am I doing as a parent? How's my kid really doing? Because it is so scary to find out how we're really doing. And so we hide. We hide from ourselves. We hide from God. We hide from each other. And we hide. But hiding does not bring about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God comes when we step out into the truth. We all need Simon Cowles in our life. I don't know if you watch American Idol. It's off the, it's off the shows now. But I loved him because he was always like, listen, who told you you can sing? Because you can't sing. You're awful. And they're like, no, everyone in my life told me I can sing. And people are crying. He's like, no, you're awful. And he would just tell them. He'd cut straight to the quick because why waste your time if you can't sing? That's not your deal. But at the same time, if you were amazing, he would tell you, but he only did that to a few people because there's only a few people who deserve to be told by Simon that they're amazing, right? So when we think of what do we pray for? The kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God, what is that? The kingdom of God is what happens when all goodness, all righteousness, all truth, when those are the things that define us, when those are the things that define our community, when those are the things that define our world, then the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven. So it matters who we pray to, and it for sure matters what we pray for. And if, we're gonna ma- if it's going to matter what we pray for, it doesn't just matter what we pray for, but it matters what we meditate on. Now, meditation is kind of a weird, world, a w- weird word, uh, especially in our context. People meditate on all sorts of things. It's kind of a spiritual word. Uh, but think of it this way. What is meditation? Meditation is the thing that you fixate on, right? It's the thing in your mind that you go, this is what I want, this is what I'm after. And sometimes it's inner peace, oh, or it's, it's something that you want to buy. It doesn't matter. It, whatever you meditate on actually matters. God wants us to meditate on him and on the kingdom of God, but what we meditate on matters. And what's interesting is all of us, whether we like it or not, live in this culture, in this, this huge downstream that's just all pulling us towards a certain way. And I always think, no, we just live in Marin and life's all great, but we bring these interns in from all over the country, and their first thing is like, what is with you people? Like, what? This is us. We're perfect. We're Marin. We love, we're green. And like, you guys are the weirdest. I'm like, we're not weird. Look at us. We're awesome. But whenever we bring interns in, they're just wrestling. They spend all year just wrecked. Like, God, don't let me stay in Marin. I want to go somewhere else because you people are so weird. And I'm like, we are not weird. But it is true. Think about the way that we live here in our neighbors. There's certain things that we're about. I'm not a recycler. But also now I have to. If I don't recycle, the whole world comes down on me. I don't even know. So now I recycle just because of the shame that's brought on me by everybody because that is part of our culture. And so whether we like it or not, we are shaped. We are meditating on things that we don't even know we're meditating on, and it changes us. And this is how I know it changes us because I work with students and I have to listen to music I don't want to listen to. Um, I hear music and I go, that's awful. But then sure enough, it gets inside of me and I love it. I want to show you this video that came out a couple years ago and you'll see what I mean. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Okay, exactly. Now, some of you guys, I could just see Anka's like, what 
are you doing in church? And, and some of the younger kids are like, that's what I'm talking about. The first time I saw this thing, I was like, what is this? My eyes were like falling out of my head. I'm like, is this like a joke? Is this an old Navy commercial? I couldn't tell like, what is going on here. And, um, but sure enough, it's like it's seeped into our culture. Now my kids, like for their PE class, this is like what they do. They sing this and they dance. This is their PE. It is part of our culture. This thing that as good, noble people with taste, you would listen to and go, this is awful. But yet by seeping in it and listening to it over and over and over again, it's become part of our souls and it has become part of our taste buds and is what we listen to. Well, maybe not yet, but it will be, I promise you. So it does matter what we meditate on, the things that we dream about, the things that we think about, what we're holding on to, it matters because those things actually mold and shape us. And the deal is the kingdom of God, holiness, is an acquired taste. It is not something that you just go, oh, I like that. But isn't that true? All fancy things are acquired taste. Everybody likes chicken McNuggets. You may like for social reasons not like them, but your taste buds love them. Your kids love them. Everybody loves them. There's nothing special or great about a McNugget. They are the worst, and they're the worst for you. But your taste buds, there's no acquired taste. But really fancy coffee, really fancy wine, really fancy scotch, really fancy music, really fancy everything is an acquired taste. Noah goes, hey, can I have some coffee? Have some coffee. He's like, this is awful. You'll learn to like it, kid, right? But you have to learn to like it. All fancy things are this acquired taste. So think about the most fancy thing, the most holy thing, the most righteous thing. The most righteous and holy thing is an acquired taste that takes us learning to like it, training our taste buds to like it. Because the chicken McNuggets of our soul are easy and satisfies. When we think they're satisfies, it takes no effort to do. But holiness, the things of God, the ways of God, they're an acquired taste and it takes a lot of effort. And that's why we need each other. We need to be pushing each other towards those things so that, like, like I recycle. I didn't want to recycle. You're all making me recycle. Well, how cool, right? What if we all push each other to, to be holy, to be righteous, to do good works, to be running after the things of God? I love that passage in Ephesians. It ends with, so find out what pleases God. Don't just pray, God, I honor you, God. I want your kingdom to come on earth as, as, on earth as it is in heaven. Don't just pray those things, but pray, God, I want to know what you want. Right? Don't, I just don't want these things, but I want to know what pleases you. And what pleases you is for us to be molded and shaped into the likeness of God. And what's crazy is when we do that, it's the kingdom of God in heaven happens on earth. It doesn't just happen because God just shows up and does it. He does it because God's people who are faithful in the very small things accumulate all these very small things and the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever we meditate on happens. We work our butts off to make happen. Um, last couple years ago, I started learning how to surf and I'm still not a good surfer. I like to surf, but I'm, I'm, I'm awful at it. I get all dressed up and I go out there. Um, but for me, and this, is, this happened with golf too, but it was too expensive for me. I walk out there and I'm horrible at something and I think, well, you know what? It's obviously not me. It's obviously my tools. So if I was in golf, I'd need more expensive golf clubs, but those are way too expensive. But in surfing, I'm like, listen, I'm an awful surfer and I know the reason because I'm, I'm on a $100 wave storm from Costco. Well, I'm like a 220 pound guy. I'm too heavy for a Costco board. So 
if I'm going to really be a good surfer, I have to get a, a real surfboard, a nice big 10-foot-long surfboard that, you know, costs like $1,000. But I have to get it. I need it. And so every week I would surf on this awful, on this awful wave storm, and every time I'm driving out, I'm thinking, I would be such a better surfer if I just had a better surfboard. And all of a sudden it became this thing I meditated on. I locked my head into it. I'm thinking, I have to. I, I, I'm, I, I won't even be able to lose weight and be healthy and surf ever again unless I get this board. And, be, and pretty soon it became, there's no way. It's God's will that I get this surfboard. And so whatever it takes to the surfboard, well, Kay's like, listen, God bless you, but we don't have $1,000, so I don't know what you're going to do. But because I meditated, because for months and months, all I could think about was I have to get this. You see us with our high school kids. They're just weasels. All of a sudden, they're finding every way possible. How can I make money? How can I do this thing? Well, I did the adult version and sold off everything in my garage. I just fire sold everything, stuff that didn't even belong to me. I just sold it. I didn't even care until I got my money. And some guy, it was tax season, and he needed to pay his taxes. And so we found common ground. And I took a surfboard, and he paid his taxes, and now I have this great surfboard. And I'm I'm not a good surfer at all. But we do that. We have things that we meditate on, we fixate on, and the more that we fixate on them, we work our tails off to make that happen. We will do whatever it takes to make it happen. Well, God's saying, listen, for the kingdom of heaven to come on earth, you have to long for it. You can't just pray for it. You have to long for it. It has to be the thing that you meditate on that shapes your thoughts. It shapes your feelings. It shapes your attitude. It shapes what you spend money on. It shapes how you talk to people. It shapes everything. And what happens is, is it shapes you more and more and more. All of a sudden, you can't imagine not doing certain things. Of course I'm going to do that. Of course I'm going to give money to that. Of course I'm going to open my home to them. Of course I'm going to be kind to them. Of course I'm going to stand up. Like, it's not like, what would Jesus do in this situation? No, it is so in you that you want the kingdom of God to show up in every situation because it is all that you meditate on. It is all that you think about that you are going to find every opportunity to have good works, to have righteousness, and to live in the truth. Everything that we do is going to be for that. And so if we want to long for the kingdom of God, which I admit is not in our normal wheelhouse. We long for our kingdom to come, our will be done. But if we're going to long for those things, it begins with our prayer life. It begins with us praying. It matters who we pray to, and it matters what we pray for, and it matters what we meditate on. There's a reason why we don't let Ricky Bobby shape who we pray for. We let Jesus shape who we pray for, and Jesus says, this is how you're to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Honored is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, before we wrap things up, I'm going to invite Michael up. And um, we're just going to practice that because usually we'll go home and eat lunch and forget about the sermon and that kind of happens. Um, but while we're here together for a few minutes, we're just going to stop and we're going to pray. We're going to ask that God would change our taste buds. He would change the things that we long for. And hopefully that more and more we would be people who long for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray.